Nate, how you doing, my man? Good, man. How are you? Awesome. Doing incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time. I, uh, I saw you on Twitter, Chronicles of Nate, and uh, I saw you had a passion for money, which I love. I'm a big guy, a big, big money fan. Uh, and also, <laughs> you know, I, I love the way you preach uh, taking responsibility, taking accountability, manning up, you know, uh, getting rid of that victim mentality, winner mindset. I love that, man. So I had to reach out and talk with you. Awesome, man. Well, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely an honor to be here. So, you know, I appreciate you asking me and uh, looking forward to getting into it. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm very excited. Let's just let's just get straight into it, man. Where did you got your passion for money? Um, I would say growing up, I grew up in a, in a family business owners. My dad had an athletic shoe store, kind of like a Foot Locker. Um, and when it comes to just business in general, I was always just really interested in what he did. Uh, I love the idea of the, the freedom that he had, uh, the control he had of his life. Uh, we, we traveled a lot when I was a kid. Uh, there's probably like a handful of States that I haven't been to in my life. So, which is very rare. I mean, most kids, they barely leave their own state. So I saw just a lot of freedom that, that he had. And, and that was something that I was interested in having. And I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, w we all have a desire for freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, it really just depends on what you're willing to do in order to attain that freedom. But I went to school for a business degree. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do, but studying economics and finance, I just became really passionate with, um, numbers and you know causes and effects of markets and and all of those things economics was just something that was really cool i remember asking questions to my you know posing questions to my economics professor that he had never heard before mm. uh on multiple occasions he was like i've never had anybody ask me that before and so um i always kind of consider myself a problem solver and that uh that was just fueled as i got a little bit older, you know, I used to listen to Dave Ramsey and I used to think that he was the end all be all when it came to personal finance, hmm. but it wasn't until I discovered Robert Kiyosaki that I was really introduced to how money actually works. And that was, that was really, when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, that was the beginning of my financial education journey. And then it just blossomed from there. Awesome, man. It sounds like you had a great relationship with your dad. What, yep. what, what did he mean to you? How did he, raise you did he wanted you to be an entrepreneur get money man uh <laughs> i gotta be careful i don't get too emotional about this because my dad was my hero hmm. um i he uh passed away lost him to cancer in 2012 um bless but him, he uh man he he raised me right uh I, every day i look in the mirror i see him hmm. uh in so much of of what i become became you know he he taught me how to uh, love my family because he loved us. He taught me how to love my wife. He taught me how to love my kids. Mm -hmm. um, he taught me how to fight for things, uh, not not necessarily physically. I mean, yeah, I mean, he taught me a little bit of that too. But but just uh, the ability to go after something that was important to me, because I saw him. I saw the example that he gave me, and you know, I took those things and I've. Uh, I strive to be like him, 
uh, that's a that's a big motivation for me is I want to be like my dad. Mm. That's beautiful, man. That's incredible. So he he taught you more by being an example, just living his lessons with just living, breathing lessons. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Uh, I I've told people many many times in my life that my dad was the smartest person I knew. Uh, never went to college, but man, he could run circles around anybody. That's incredible, man. So what was your, what was you doing in the shoe game and were you hustling with him? Were you getting the shoes and was he teaching you <laughs> early? Yeah. Uh, so he started his business in 1989. Um, I'm, I'm 38. If anybody ever saw my picture, they wouldn't, wouldn't think I was that old, but oh. I've been around for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be 39 next month. So um, I actually started working for him when I was in junior high. That was a rule. When you turn 14, you could go to work if you wanted to. And mm. so started working for him very, very part time when I was in junior high. Started learning, you know, work ethic and, you know, the importance of making money because uh, th all throughout junior high and high school, man, out of all my friends, I was the only one that ever had money in my pocket. Mm. Um, because I was earning it myself, you know, I was able to, to do things with my own money as a kid that, that most kids never get the opportunity to do. So, uh, just got to experience what it was like working at an early age, uh, which was cool. It was never anything that my dad pushed into me or, uh, you know, was forcing me to do or anything like that, but it was something I had a desire to do. And uh, bought my first truck myself when I was in high school. Damn. And uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I told dad, I said, hey, I want a new truck. He said, if you want a new truck, you're going to buy it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. So I worked my butt off and bought myself a truck. And uh, that was kind of my dream truck at the, at the time. And I was real proud of it. And I had a five-year note on it and paid it off in two and a half years. Mm. I was real proud of that, too. So... Worked for him all throughout junior high, high school, through college, and then even a little bit after college. And got to just experience what it was like to, you know, be on the other side of a business owner. You know, watching what, you know, how an entrepreneur works in a lot of different ways. And, and some, of the, some of it's appealing. Reality is, and mm. you, you, you probably know this as well. Mm. There's a lot of stuff that we do as entrepreneurs that sucks. Mm. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <laughs> so he instilled this on you very early, but he never forced it on you. How do you right. think you eventually made that decision? What came to you? Because for some people, they grow up with something at a young age and they rebel against it. They're like, no way I'm going to do that. I'm not going to be that. I love that, but I'm not going to do that. I want to find my own way. Why did you decide, what happened for you to decide that I'm going to do exactly that thing? The fact that there wasn't any pressure on me to do it, uh, because, you know, I, I've seen this in sports with parents and children you know, how they pressure their kids into something and then they get burnt out and they go the opposite direction. 
uh, you know, as kids, we have a, we have a tendency to do the opposite of what our parents tell us to do. And so, uh, the fact that there wasn't any pressure on me to do that, I just came in, came into it naturally. Um, but just the idea of freedom, being able to control my time, not having to ask permission to, to go eat a sandwich, you know, so to speak on my lunch break, you know, all those things, whenever I uh, moved into a, a management position with his company, then I had people underneath me that I was in charge of. And that can be a, a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, if you're not a good steward of leadership, then you're going to crash and burn and people are going to run all over you. Mm. And so you know, that was something else that I saw in him was just the ability to lead other people. And so all these things, and I could write a book just about what my dad taught me mm, um, because <laughs> uh, all these things have just made me who I am. It's beautiful, man. So you discovered what you wanted to do. You went to school for it. You discovered a lot of that they teach you was a bunch of crap. And then you went on to discover the lessons and all the things for yourself. What did you do when you finally knew the truth? What was the first thing you did with that knowledge? Uh, I, I took action. Uh, when I, when I finally learned the truth about money, it caused me to move quickly. Um, I mean, I made some, I made some quick decisions because it all finally came came together it all finally made sense you know i in 2008 right in the middle of the financial meltdown you know this is a little bit of my story i was working for a i'd left my dad's company to kind of see how i could do on my own <laughs> um and i was working for this precious metals company we go we sold gold platinum and silver and right in the middle of the meltdown people were bleeding money left and right and they were just looking for ways to stop the bleeding. So there were a lot of people who were moving their, not all their money, but moving some of their money into metals mm -hmm. and client after client I was working with the stories that I heard about just the devastation that they had seen, that they had experienced. A lot of people had never experienced anything like that where half their money was cut, you know, almost overnight. And, the despair that I heard in their voice, especially for people who were looking to retire. Mm. You know, if you were, if you were on a 30 year track to retire in 2008 was your year, you just got set back. Yeah. Five or five, 10, 15 years, depending on, you know, how bad you got hit. So there were a lot of people who were looking to retire and now they're trying to figure out how they're going to make extra money. And I came away from that thinking there's got to be a better way. Hmm. Like not everybody, not everybody is stuck in this cycle of dumping money into a 401k or, or an IRA. You know, there's got to be a better way. Hmm. We, we can't all just be complete slaves to the market. And it actually took me 10 years to figure out what that better way was. And it was simply just learning the rules about money and how leverage works in your life. Hmm. So you immediately took action. I think that's something that's lacking with a lot of people, right? Discovering something or maybe finding that something that they were looking for. But now what? What's what do I do now? I know now, but what do I do? 
What do you think right. is the difference between you and the average person who gets some knowledge but doesn't really know what to do next? Um, I was fortunate enough to have a mentor that taught me the, the things that I teach other people now. And the whole reason that, that I'm even in financial education is because the information that I learned, the things that I was taught, it changed, it radically changed my situation very quickly. And, and my business was just born out of the overflow of gratitude and excitement for what I was doing for myself. And I have a and I have a business partner, um, and, and and our stories are the same because what happened was as I started learning these things, I went and told one of my best friends, who's now my business partner, and we got excited about these things together, and we said, "Man, one day we were just like, man, if we feel this good about what we're learning about what we're doing for our families now, hmm. wouldn't it be cool to go teach other people how to feel this way?" I can dig it, man. I can dig it. So the pain that you saw in other people's eyes and what they went through, is that the thing that drives you to go out and help other people? Because you could also could have went the standard financial guy way, right? Get money, stack it up, invest, get some real estate, live a great life and retire somewhere in the Bahamas. But you chose kind of the hard route. Right. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, because uh, we're, we're definitely non-conventional in what we teach. Um, if I would have gone the conventional route, like you said, you know, I could have just, you know, done my thing, punch, punch the clock for 20 or 30 years, you know, had people coming to me left and right, pouring money into the market. Yep. But once I once I learned that there was freedom a lot of freedom that could be found outside of conventional wisdom. You know, I wanted to set other people free. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I met a, a, a guy who teaches a, a very similar concept to what I teach. And he, his response when somebody asked him what he does, he said, I free slaves. And, uh, and of course that causes a response of what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, so many people are just slaves to the system and they don't even realize it. Hmm. And so I'm passionate about educating others and empowering others so they can go out and make the absolute best decisions for their life. So do you think that the things that you learn and the things that came to you to self-improvement because you went out for yourself to improve upon yourself. You didn't take anything, you know, you questioned a lot of things. Do you think this can in any way be taught in schools in education? It absolutely could. Um, the reality is, our education system is controlled by a higher power, <laughs> uh, which is mainly the central banking system and central banks. The last thing they want you to, to learn is, you know, the rules of money, how money really works. They want to keep you dumb and, uh, you know, uneducated. Mm -hmm. 
because, and I actually, <laughs> I tweeted this out like yesterday, you know, they want to, the people who control the system, they want to keep you uneducated in money. They want to keep you uneducated in health and they want to keep you uneducated in history hmm. because when you learn the truth, they can't control you. Hmm. Interesting. And it's funny because it, it really, it's different, right? America is just, I'm from Amsterdam myself in Holland, but America is a different animal. When the system you guys got over there, it, it gives you incredible opportunity, but it can also eat you alive. Absolutely. If you're not ready for that, that capitalism in the most raw form, it's, it's a monster. It really is. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever you turn 18 years old, it doesn't matter what your credit rating is. When you turn 18 years old and you go onto a college campus, all the credit card companies are lined up, ready to sign you. Hmm. And which, I mean, kind of gets into the other enslavement that, w that we're all subject to. It's easier to get a $100,000 school loan to sign up for college than it is to get a $100,000 business loan. Hmm. Because school loans are non-forgivable. Uh, I mean, as of right now, they're non-forgivable. Yeah. Which means they will follow you the rest of your life, which means people who sign up for a college education, usually it takes them 10, 15, 20 years sometimes to pay off their student loans, which means they are in, in debt to the government right out of college. Yep. For, for a good portion of their working years, they are in debt to the government. And so they put you in debt with credit cards. They put you in debt with college because they want to keep you. Our education system is not designed for you to be empowered and to move up. It's designed to keep you where you are. Hmm. So when you discovered all this, how did you not? I know your dad taught you a lot. I know you had a mentor. But if I look at my, my myself and my own situation, uh, I was homeless at 16. My, my mother was very mentally ill. I couldn't live with her. And I went on the street. I gathered, you know, I stacked up a lot of debt. Fortunately, I paid it all off. But it, it really crippled me for a very long time. I had no idea how to handle money. If I would have been growing up in America, I would have had credit cards give me all of those how many can mm -hmm. i have how much right. to, man come on i'm partying hanging out with girls doing cocaine living their life i would man i would lose my mind in a country like that but that's i think that they, they they're preying on people like me right the people who don't have any knowledge and the parents grew up the same way they did they didn't know nothing about money the kids doesn't know nothing about money they just inherit that mindset how, how did you, how do you break that? Well, education is, is, you know, really the, the, the pinnacle of everything that we do. Uh, we're a financial education business. And so, you know, what we pride ourselves in is just teaching people the truth about how money really works. Hmm. Um, and as I said earlier, when I learn the truth, it calls me very quickly to do something about it. And, um, one of my mentors is quoted as saying, 
when you understand the problem, you'll know what to do. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, that resonates so much with me. And when you start to show people how leverage works and how simple leverage can actually be in their life, you know, what, what we teach is not a secret necessarily. It's just something that no one has ever been shown in the right light. And so we pull the curtain back and we say, hey, just let me just show you why you've been thinking about things the wrong way, which is, you know, I have a I have a course on Twitter, money course, and it's sort of an introduction to what we do. Hmm. And it's called Holy Shift. S H I F T. Yeah. <laughs> uh, rethinking your money paradigm. Because in order for you to take hold of these things, you have to unlearn all this other stuff you've been indoctrinated with. Mm. So you've got to rethink your thinking in order to win with money. Mm. That's so interesting, man. It's like you're giving money therapy. It's like you're a psychologist, right? <laughs> you're unlearning all these bad habits and beliefs and all these bad thoughts, you know, these lies that you've been told or maybe even told yourself. And you're basically teaching them new truths and new habits, new beliefs. That must be incredible, incredibly hard for at least some of your clients, right? How do you get food to them? How do you unteach all those things? So I think I think one of the, the easiest things for me personally, whenever I'm teaching is one, we don't we don't operate off of speculation. Like everything we operate off of is based on fixed information. So we're not, you know, building out these grand ideas that could possibly happen one day, because usually when you're working with a regular financial person, they're going to show you like the best case scenario. They're going to look at what could happen mm. because they're enticing you. They're bringing you in. Um, but there's an asterisk at the bottom of just pretty much every piece of paper they'll ever show you that Hell says, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what we operate off of is fixed information. We're, we're not operating off of spec speculation. So when we show people numbers and just show them how leverage works, math doesn't lie. I can dig it, man. I can dig it. And I've seen a lot of great uh, on your on your Twitter page in your bio is a link you can click and there's a lot of people talking very highly of you. Uh, you must be proud, man. You must be proud having something like this and teaching it, you know, doing good with it. Do, do you take what what do you what gives you more pleasure teaching something to someone and seeing them? you know, seeing them wake up from their, their 30 years sleep or signing a big deal, getting a big check for you personally, keep it 100. It, it's gotta be, uh, just giving that's, that's something that's really important to, to me and my business partner. And so, uh, I mean, this isn't a toot our own horn or anything like that, mm. but we're both very passionate about helping other people. So, we have a percentage of every dollar that comes into our business. We, we have a separate account called our giving fund. Mm. And then we just wait, we just 
we sit on that money and we wait for God to open the door for an opportunity for us to be a blessing to somebody. Mm. So, so I'm way more passionate about helping someone about teaching someone because I know what's going to do, what it's going to do for them in the future. I know how it's going to change their situation. I know how it's going to change their kid's situation. I know how it's going to change their grandkids situation. Mm. If they will just follow the plan. And when you go on Twitter, I've seen you on Twitter a lot. You're really active. You're always interacting with everybody. Do you get frustrated when you see people with a very negative, broke mindset? Do you have empathy for these people? I have empathy. Uh, I don't. I don't get frustrated very often. Um, I'm pretty thick skin. Hmm. Uh, I'm. I'm slow to speak. Slow to anger, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, I'm laid back. Uh, my wife, sometimes she says I'm too laid back, like, mm. especially like if we're walking through a mall, she's like, can you walk faster? Cause sometimes <laughs> I'm just, I'm just strolling, you know, I'm just enjoying the scene. Yeah. So, uh, sometimes I mean, it's a running joke that I don't walk fast enough, mm. but it's, it's just part of my personality. I'm just so laid back. So people, negative people on Twitter, they don't really bother me that much. Um, you can pick and choose who you spend energy on really, really in any setting, but especially in Twitter, because I mean, I get, I don't know how many notifications I get a day on Twitter, hmm. but it's enough where there's no way I can keep up with all of them. Yeah. So, so if somebody does say something that, that I don't agree with and I happen to see it, I have two options. I can either address it or I can just keep on scrolling. Yep. And usually what I do is keep on scrolling because, you know, it, it's, there's power in not having to think that everything, well, not having everyone believe that everything you say is right. So allowing someone to believe they're right when it doesn't really have any effect on you personally, um, I mean, the best example I could give is somebody who's tries to argue with me about some of the stuff I say on Twitter. I could come, I could easily, because they don't have enough information based off of what they're saying. So what I could easily do is just come over the top on them hmm. and put them down and shut them up. But in most cases, that's really not going to solve the problem. Hmm. So it's a whole lot easier to just let them think they're right and move on. I feel you. I feel you. Usually I try to do the same. In the beginning on Twitter, I like wrestle with them a little bit from time to time. And then I'm like, oh, what am I doing, man? I really don't want to be doing this. <laughs> these guys, these guys are vicious. They're animals. They do this all the time. <laughs> I'm not going to win this. They're like, they're doing, they're doing this every day. <laughs> uh, I got something like my, I got something else. Like I got a lot of other things to focus on. I think that helps. Right. But well, if you look on Money Twitter, right? Money Twitter, all these guys uh, spreading what they think is the truth. And I respect every single one of their stories. They probably have a great story like you do. But I think there's a big, I think there's just an overall negative kind of feeling against money people. People who focus on making money, teaching money, or some you know, some in that financial space, you know, I just seen 
all these rich guys like Bill Gates or Zuckerberg or whatever making donation and people were outraged like how can you only donate 0.00001% of your wealth that's crazy and other people you know on the on the financial money gurus they get a lot of hate by young people telling you guys you're scam artists and all that stuff why do you think people are so negative towards financial people big money makers rich people because we're taught to think that hmm. uh i mean just look at the mainstream media i mean when it comes to messages to the poor and middle class we're basically taught to hate rich people hmm. we're taught to be envious of rich people so there's an indoctrination at a very, very early age where if somebody's in an upper class above you you know they don't think as highly of you as you think so what we're trained to think is when rich people get to a certain point they don't care about us you know are they you know they don't care about poor they don't care about middle class so there's a separation there where i mean i've met i i work with multimillionaires all the time in my business because even though people uh, something that i've noticed is even well people who have done well for themselves people who are successful hmm. they're never um trying to think of the best way to say this i'll put it this way they're always willing to learn something new mm. and so as i said i work with multimillionaires who've done well for themselves but they also thought hey maybe i could learn something that would be even better so but what i found with so many of them that i've worked with nearly all of them is man they're just regular people yeah and, uh, you know, people who are compassionate about helping other people. Now, I'm sure some of that is just the law of attraction because that's my heart for helping people. So naturally, I'm going to have clients that are coming to me that are a lot like me. But the reality is not everybody that has money is just an evil person. Mm -hmm. But we are definitely taught to think that way. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I said... <laughs> on Twitter recently is I don't love money, but I do love the time that it gives me with my family. Mm. Hell yeah. That's real talk. I, I, I think, I think we're really on the same page on that. I really, I don't really care about money that much. And my friends who got very wealthy in a young age, they're in Asia living a life, Bitcoin out of their minds, playing poker and, I always really, I was very angry at myself for not following them when I was younger and wasting my time smoking weed and being angry. And thankfully, I, you know, I turned my life around two, three years ago and they repaid me by being my business partner and investing in me and taking care of me and very grateful of that. But these guys, they, they're, they're so kind. They're so loving. They just give money away all the time. Like they, they're just constantly giving money away and they don't really like money that much. They just like the thrill of making it, you know, mm. that new, exciting experience, a new 
investment opportunity that new just it's like a drug it's addictive to them it's like constantly working on new projects new things but they don't really like having money like they don't have money on them cash no nothing that's like they don't really they're not attached to the concept of money they're absolutely not greedy here it's funny that you would you know a regular person would expect these things but I think it's a great point that you made that we've been taught to hate money. We've been taught to feel like money is evil, right? That you won't, you can't negotiate your salary. That's like, what? You don't do that, right? You know, money just magnifies character. Yeah. It doesn't change character. It magnifies character. So if you were a dirt bag before you had money and then you got money, you're still a dirt bag. And probably a worse dirt bag. Yeah, gonna be a big ass. But <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, if you were, if you were someone who was compassionate about helping others, and now you've got money to go along with that. Well, now that gives you more tools to fuel that passion that you have for helping someone else. Like I can help people on a bigger scale than I've ever been able to do in my entire life, mm. because now I have the tools to do that. You, you spoke about God just now, and uh, I think that's beautiful. I mean, uh, I'm rediscovering God these last couple of months in my life where I've been raised to hate religion. My parents uh, fled Iran during uh, the Muslim revolution, the Islamic revolution. Uh, they suffered a lot, lost a lot of family members, and they always blamed Islam. They always blamed religion and they always said that mm. God can drive people to do insane things, which, you know, is true to a certain extent. God is very powerful. And I had to, uh, I had to let that go for the first time in my life. A couple months ago, I decided I wanted to, uh, to discover Christianity and open my heart up to God. So I always love it when I meet someone who has been able to do that a bit longer, I think. When did you discover God in your life? Well, uh, that kind of goes back to my dad. You know, my dad was the one that taught me about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up in church. And uh, so I was exposed to that. Again, I was never forced on me, but I was in that environment, you know, and I, and I had the, the freedom in that environment to decide if, if that was what I wanted for my life or not. And through that experience, you know, being exposed to, to scripture, being exposed to just the, the relationships that I have with other people, relationships with my family. I, I, I saw the need for Jesus in my own life. Um, and so uh, I, when I was 14 years old, I gave my life to Christ. And you know, I haven't been perfect since then by any means. Um, but he, is, he has always been faithful to me, even when I wasn't faithful to him. And uh, actually in 2000, well, 2006, I was actually brought into an uh, area of ministry. Um, and I, for... Ten and a half years, I did a youth and music ministry at a church. Mm. And then in 2018, just two years ago, I was called to 
a church as a pastor. So in addition to teaching financial education, I'm also a pastor of a church. Wow. That's incredible. So you do that on the side? I do. Um, it's a small church, so they don't, they don't need me to be there full time necessarily. Mm. So, but it gives me the freedom to be at the church as much as I need to be and be in my business as much as I need to be. So it's a, it's, it's a, a really, really great blessing to have the opportunity to pour into people on multiple levels mm. as far as what I get to do. Do you think that Jesus and God is a big reason for your sanity? Because you sound like a very stable, steady guy. And I know this financial world, the money world, I had a couple friends of mine. You could very easily lose yourself in all that money and all the people that you meet. You must meet, you know, you must have met a couple of very shady people, <laughs> you know, some, some <laughs> characters, you know, some, some special guys. You could easily lose yourself, right? But you didn't. No, I think that's uh, that's definitely a big part of it. Um, my, my faith is what has guided me for a long time. And, you know, and I mentioned losing my dad in 2012 to cancer. Mm. During that time, losing my hero could have been a really, really devastating time in my life. And not that it wasn't, but God gave me a peace through that situation that I couldn't explain to anybody. Mm. So, yeah, we go through grief and we go through pain. But just because we're hurting doesn't mean we don't have peace. And I know that's really weird to hear. But until you've actually experienced it, it's really hard to explain. Mm, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So, what kept you from not just completely spiraling out of control after losing someone like that? With such, you know, so important. And I, I, I bet you would have loved to shown him all of this, you know, and all the people oh. you've been helping. Absolutely. Um, that was one of the things that, that made it hard for me as time went on, whenever I was um, called to be a pastor. You know, that was something that I didn't get to share with him and experience mm -hmm. with him. So he never got to hear me preach. Um, so those are things that I thought that I thought about all along the way. And, you know, obviously, I'm never going to forget him. And, you know, it's uh, there's always going to be moments where, you know, you you feel it the most. You feel the most sorrow in that moment but the support that i've had in my family uh from my wife uh i've just been I, i've been blessed with a lot of great people in my life that that helped me through that situation so um it, it's definitely relationships are man so incredibly important mm. especially when you're going through something like that most definitely, man. Definitely. So, how do you think you're being of service to God with what you're doing right now? Because you could, you know, a lot of religious people I know could argue that working in financial world could corrupt you. Money is the devil and all that craziness. <laughs> how do you 
how do you still work for God, but also combine that with, you know, making money, becoming wealthy, right? Taking care of yourself, living a life of comfort and freedom. My business is really an extension of my ministry. Um, being able to help people on a, a level when it comes to finance in a lot of cases opens the door for me to share other things with them. And not that I'm evangelizing every client that I meet, but it's amazing how many times those conversations just kind of start themselves, so to speak. Uh, those, those doors open. And so I've never been, I never shot away from my faith or anything like that. And so when the opportunity presents itself for me to talk about the Lord and what he's done for me and, you know, what he's promised us and all these things, then, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. It's fun for me. There is definitely a temptation in anything that we do in life to make it our God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when people say money is, money is, the root of all evil, what they fail to leave out is the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. And as I've said, because that's what, that's actually what it says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. And that is what is so often missed. Like I don't love money. I don't obsess over money. I speak the language of money because that is, that's what I do but money is just a tool to help us accomplish the things that we want to do in life. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing that is really cool about what I get to do, when you just look at the divorce rate in America as an example, one of the leading causes of divorce is money. Mm -hmm. Now, it's really more about communication than it is about money, but money is one of the, the reasons that's given so often. So when I get to go into work with a couple, I mean, I've worked with a couple of, I mean, I've worked with several couples already today from, from all over the country. And when I get to sit down with them, I have the opportunity to get them on the same page with their finances, but also give them peace and confidence and hope that they've never had before. Mm -hmm. And when you're able to do that for a couple, you are pouring into that relationship. You are strengthening that relationship. So we have the ability to heal relationships with this information. So whether it's a, whether it's a, a single individual where we're preparing them for the future when they're in a relationship or someone who's already in a relationship where we're just going to make it that much better, like we are making an impact that we will never see. So tell me more about that process. How much of that process is just pure coaching, mental health, self-improvement? How much of that do you think is within the mind of the client? But before you get to the tools and the secret and all that stuff. Well, you have to be willing to admit that there's a problem. And there's so many people, there's so few people who are willing to admit that there's a problem. Hmm. Um, so there is, there's a level of 
of honesty that you have to have with yourself. You have to be at a certain level to admit that there's a problem. You have to be willing to drop your pride in order to sit down and talk to somebody about that problem. So the first step is admitting it. The second is overcoming your pride because that's what holds so much of us back in life is pride. You know, we, we walk around and this is why money is so taboo. We walk around so often trying to act like we have it all together because we're told we're supposed to act like we have it all together. We're not supposed to admit our problems to people. That's what we're told, you know, and because credit is so readily available in this country, everybody can look like they have it together. But man, I work with people every day that man on paper, they look like they got it together. Mm. When you look at the boat, the house, the car, all that stuff. But you know what? They are drowning. They're going to bed every night just hoping that they can make all those payments they're going to bed every night with regret. Mm. So when it comes to mental health and everything like that, you, you give people peace and confidence in their money. That gives them peace and confidence in the rest of their life as well. Interesting. Never thought about that like that. That's really interesting. So I know a lot of people right now who, you know, listen to your story or listening to this show right now. Maybe they're on Twitter checking out some courses or lessons, uh, looking for people to tell them what to do. But they might just say, you know what? I'll do it after this Corona shit. Let me get this lockdown out of the way. Let me, you know, let me get my, let me get everything straight. Can you tell these people why this time is the greatest time ever to take action? How much longer do you want somebody else to have control of your money? Hmm. Because what I teach people how to do is take control of their financial life and not leave it in the hands of the market, of the government, you know, other financial institutions, but to actually take control of it themselves. And for me personally, people ask me all the time, hey, why don't you put money in a 401k? Why don't you put money in, you know, mutual funds? My answer to that is I have more confidence in myself to create value with money in my own life than to leave it in the hands of someone else. Hmm. So there's a whole lot of people. If you're, you know, if you're in the United States, there's a whole lot of people that got $1,200 checks this week or last week. Um, so you can take a small portion of that and learn how to radically change your financial situation. And I'm talking radically. I think that's some great advice for people listening right now, man. It's not, and I've, I've, I've seen the website, I've seen all the testimonials and all the recommendations and these, this some, this is legit. There's a lot of things happening that you're offering and a lot of lives are changing, man, every single day. I think that's beautiful, man. Really, really beautiful. I think a lot of people need this. Uh, you're a man of God, man. That's what I think for me personally. What would attract me as well, because there's just there's God in everything, right? You can't avoid it. I would never like I respect every I respect everybody, but I don't know in some way I can't I can't trust the atheist. 
<laughs> I can't trust atheists. I'm like, cool, you do you, but I just can't trust the atheists. I'm like, you can't, you can't think of us or yourself as the greatest beings in existence. That's just well, doesn't doesn't I mean think about it this way? Doesn't it take more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really I mean, got to delusional. Believe in yourself that to, much. To, yeah, to be, well, to believe in that, and you know, to believe in you know that everything, all of this, just happened because you know things collided in the right way. Mm-hmm. You know, your your body is a beautiful symphony. If you're breathing right now, there are trillions of things happening in your body right now. Yeah, in sync, just so you can breathe. How in the world did that happen by accident? Yeah. It, there's no way. It's not yeah. possible. It can't be. One of the analogies I like to use is imagine me taking off my watch and smashing it into a million pieces and putting it in a bag. How long would I have to shake that bag for that watch to come together and and tell perfect time? Mm-hmm. Infinite. Like mm-hmm. infinity. Yep. It would never happen. Mm-hmm. So why in the world would anybody look at this world and everything that happens and how it's all put together in perfect harmony and think that it all happened by accident? Can't. It can't. It's, it really can't. Our, our, there's, there's nothing else to it. It can't. can't. But it's really hard to accept for some people, you know, that they're not the center of the universe. That there is something yeah. far greater and more powerful than them, and something else at play. You're not the only one steering this ship, right? And that's uh, that's kind of scary. I get it. It's kind of scary realization to make. Uh, but for me, mental health in, in within mental health, within coaching, God has a big, big place in, in, in my work and me as a person. Because it also, his teachings, you know, the Bible is just full of modern psychology written 2,000 years ago and proven now, 2,000 years later, with science that the things that Jesus spoke about are now scientifically proven. It's just mind-blowing to me, right? All these things that they spoke about, gratefulness and meditation and posture and taking care of other people, all those things, helping other people is literally scientifically proven to help people with depression. All these things are coming back right now. And these are things that were 2000 year old, you trying to tell me that this was a random guy, 2000 year ago, they were shitting on the streets. There were people dying on the streets. Everybody was filthy, disgusting animals. And there was just one guy who knew everything? You're trying to tell me this random guy who knew who knew everything was not from God? You just there, just a random guy who knew everything. So uh, there's a famous author named C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him. Hmm. Uh, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia as an example. Um, he he wrote a book called Mere Christianity that's real popular. But you know one of the things that that he well and what's really cool is his backstory is he was studying at oxford as an atheist and he decided he was going to disprove christianity 
And through all of his study, he ends up becoming a believer and became one of the most profound Christian authors of any generation. Um, but C.S. Lewis said that every man at some point in their life comes to a trilemma and they have to decide what to do with Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he, was he, was he a liar? Was he a lunatic or was he Lord? Mm. He could only be one of those three. He could either, he was either the biggest liar that ever came around yep. because of how many people were deceived by what they saw, or he was the greatest lunatic. Now, how he performed miracles as a lunatic, who knows? But the other option is he's Lord, and it can only be one of those three. Yeah. And everybody has to decide, is he a liar, a lunatic, or is he Lord? Yep, and I think that's the key right there. Whenever you decide that you're really going to invest time and energy, really going to dive deep, research it with an open heart, with an open mind, it's inevitable you're going to come out as a believer. It is. It really is. It's inevitable. Some, something you said earlier, kind of talking about my role in the church and everything like that. Um, if this gives me a, what I teach about money gives me a lot of confidence in a lot of different areas because I know when I lay down at night that if somebody listened to me that day, it's going to change their life. They're not going to be putting their money at risk or anything like that. Because one of the things that so many people get wrong is when they hear the word leverage, they automatically associate it with risk. Mm. But there are proper ways to apply leverage in your life where you get to win. You don't have to worry about the risk that everybody else has to worry about. So if, if I was teaching something where somebody could in some way lose their money, then I wouldn't be able to do this and just as a person, but especially being in ministry, because I have a reputation that I have to maintain as a minister. You know, yep. if I, if I mess somebody up in some way, my ministry would be ruined. My reputation would be over. And that's one of the things that I love about what I get to do is I know that every day that I get to talk to somebody, I'm helping them in some way. Mm. Real talk, man. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Anything you want to leave us with before you get about here, man? I, I just, it was incredible, incredible talk, man. There's a lot of things behind you that I was, I did not expect, but I'm very, very <laughs> happy I spoke to you, man. Well, man, I, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to to be on the show. Um, you know, it's it, it's been a great talk. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, if if anybody wants to know a little bit more about you know what I do, um, you know, they can find me on Twitter. That's my biggest presence, and I'm pretty active. As you said earlier, I'm pretty active on Twitter, so I interact with a lot of people. Um, and you know, we have things that we have things set up on on the back end as far as our clients and people we're working with where we have a private facebook group and all that stuff where people have even more access to us so myself and my business partner brandon we're very very accessible to the people we're working with mm. um so if people are wondering you know what in the world i'm talking about what i'm so excited about why i have so much peace and, peace and confidence in my money 
and just in life, then man, I would love to connect with them. Awesome, man. And I do recommend you check them out on Twitter. Uh, Chronicles of Nate uh, and at Chronicles Nate, you can find him there. Everything is in his bio. You can check out his newsletter, his website. Man, this is uh, this has been an awesome talk, man. Very, very happy to uh, have spoken to you. And I would love to have you back on some other time, man. Maybe with video next time. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Thank you, brother.